This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today, we're going to talk about Salmo Tretta. Well, if that sounds sophisticated, it's because we are a rather sophisticated podcast. Well, not really. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're the last thing that you would call sophisticated. But we're still going to talk about Salmo Trutta. Uh, that's the Latin name and the scientific name for, drumroll, brown trout. You know, the odd thing is that Dave and I have a love-hate relationship with brown trout. Uh, we love catching them and the fight they put up, but there's something that bothers us about this magnificent trout species, and we're going to talk about that today as well. Uh, so, Dave, I thought it might be fun to talk about some of our best memories catching browns, just to get things started. What uh, What do you recall as you uh, think about some of the times you've had a great day on the water and they've involved brown trout? I can think of two, and one is from almost 40 years ago. Uh, that is when we, or at least I think I was alone that day, when we were fishing Elk Creek near Augusta, Montana, which is not too far from the scapegoat wilderness. In fact, we would actually camp in the National Forest right at the trailhead into the scapegoat wilderness, and then we would drive down maybe 5, 10 miles and fish uh, on some property, but I remember catching a brown trout. This thing, my goodness, I'm going to overestimate its size because 40 years later, everything's a lot bigger. But this thing had to be, <laughs> this thing had to be four or five pounds, and I caught it in this gorgeous beaver ponds. Do you remember the beaver ponds on Elk Creek? Oh yeah, I do. Those were those were great. They were great. I'm going to confess something here, Steve. I actually caught it on a worm and not either a spinner or a streamer or a fly. But I remember <laughs> I remember casting into this pool and this thing hit it and it took me, you know, instead of just being able to rip it out, it took me several minutes to pull this thing in. I don't remember even having a net. This thing had to be four or five pounds and it was just one of the great experiences yeah. of catching fish. Another time was the recent one last fall when we were fishing the Madison. It was the only fish we caught that day. And the only reason I caught it was because I was able to cast first into the river. You were behind me. But it was just, I would, I think it's close to a 20-inch brown. And, and it was 20 or 21 inches. And that thing, as soon as I caught it, just made a beeline for the center of the Madison River. At least it felt like it and I really thought I'd never get that fish back but then suddenly it turned and I couldn't gather up the slack fast enough it was a wild ride so I love fishing brown trout I love catching brown trout often you're fishing for something else and you're catching brown trout which is what we can talk about later but that was just a wonderful wonderful experience how about you yeah I remember a couple of experiences too one of them was fishing on the Missouri River floating the Craig section with uh, with our friend Doug. We fished the Missouri with him before. But this was back in the late 1980s when I lived in Helena. And uh, we were fishing that, uh, I can't remember, I think it was September, maybe it was early October. But uh, we were fishing streamers. And I, I threw a streamer 
uh, kind of under this big rock as we floated by. And uh, man, that I I remember it was like a 23 inch brown. That was the biggest brown I've ever caught. And uh, just a, on a on a woolly bugger. That's a big fish. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I mean, that's largest brown I've ever caught. Uh, another time that I know we've talked about before on our podcast, but it was uh, it was in the bear trap, uh, pretty close to where you caught that uh, brown last year, and I was out with my son Luke, and I remember it was late October. The reason I remember that because it was the it was the first week of hunting season, and it was too warm to hunt. It's like we're not going elk hunting, we're not going deer hunting. If we get something down. Uh, this isn't going to be good. So you know, it's in the 50s or maybe it even hit 60. So we went out to the bear trap and, you know, my son Luke was, I don't know if he's 11, 12. And, and I set up a fly rod for him and, you know, we had an egg pattern dropping. Well, we had that and then we dropped these little size 18 red Dave emergers. And so he makes his first cast and I'm, getting things set up. I'm downstream from him, maybe 20 yards. He goes, oh, Dad, I got a snag. I said, well, just wait. Let me come and get it. So I thought, uh, you know, if I can get it out, then I don't have to retie uh, two flies <laughs> and everything else on it. So I took his rod, and I kind of pulled a little bit, and I felt this quiver. And I, I did it again. I was like, oh, man, Luke, you got a, you got a fish on. You got a big fish on. So uh, he hauled that thing in, and I, I coached him, and I said, be really careful, and here, I'm going to come net it. Well, I, I got too close too fast, and it wrapped around my leg, and the line snapped. And I'll never forget, uh, boy, Luke turned his back on me, and he was angry. And, and But I also saw this tear trickling down his, you know, his <laughs> left cheek. And so I said when any good dad would be, oh, Luke, there's more in here. We'll catch another one, thinking, oh, great, I've just blown it. I'm not going to get another one. But So I, I said, here, take, my, take the rod I was going to use. It's all ready to go. I'll re-rig this. And I walk back down. I'm tying and I, he says, Dad, I got one. So uh, this time we got it. I mean, these were big browns. He caught, he caught like six more of them that day. And I wow. Caught, I caught three or four, maybe. I was, yeah, I had my hands full trying to net his, and they were all 19, 20 inch, wow, big old browns that were probably runners. So, uh, you know, I've, I caught a lot of browns, but those two experiences really stand out. I mean, they're they're a ton of fun. We've had some times together, haven't we, Dave? Or we we've, we've done pretty well on browns. Well, I think one of the most memorable, at least for me, is. Uh, that stretch of days, I think it was two days, that we fished the Gardner River just outside Gardner, Montana. And we've been back the same time several times and have never, ever replicated it. It was one of those perfect, no. you know, I don't know if the phrase is perfect storm, but it was... Yeah, the, because there was a storm coming, I think. It was yeah, stormy, I, wasn't it? It yeah, was very so stormy, right. yeah. But it... Those are two days together back and back. I've never had ever in my life two days like that. Have you? No, rarely. It's, yeah, that, that's just a rare thing. You get a great day, and then the next day is like, yeah. But you're right. Back, back, amazing. Yeah. Well, what we did is 
we had a guide the first day and he took us out to these runs and then we went back the next day we did better actually the second day than we did the first day and what made it so great is that these fish were just so big and it was brown after brown then every so often we'd catch a rainbow and then it was brown after brown and then there'd be a cutthroat and uh, I think my best memory was you and I at this pool it was kind of a combination of a pool and a run and it was so deep you wonder how deep that pool was but we would switch oh. up so you would cast you'd make three four five six seven casts often would catch one and then I'd step in and then for a while there we would just swap fish right but then all of a sudden oh, yeah. then all of a sudden you'd catch one and then I'd try and then I couldn't catch anything and so I'd go like on a 20 or 30 minute uh, run not catching any fish wonder what's wrong with me and then I say okay you go Steve and then you go and catch one again and then it would switch up where I would catch a bunch in a row and I was thinking is it the egg pattern is it the nymph but we couldn't figure it out. But it truly, I mean, I think we both said we each caught like 40 that day. And that would be, that's yeah. not an overstatement. No, no, that was, uh, that was on the, uh, that was the under. Uh, yeah, sure. that was the under. For sure. You know, what are the particular challenges in catching brown trout? Or is it the same as any other trout? Or is there something different about browns? We probably ought to talk about that. So uh, people who are new to fly fishing aren't, aren't confused. Well, I do think a trout is a trout is a trout. Uh, I do think you can overthink this. And in some ways, there's no difference in fishing for browns than there is for rainbows or cutthroats or brookies. Uh, but then there is, right? right. Um, you do use some of the same patterns, the same techniques. Um, but the main difference is that browns, they do tend to be nocturnal. And so if you want to catch the, like the, big, the big ones... You really need to fish at dusk or at night. I have never really... I've caught them at dusk or at night. I don't know. Have you ever caught them early morning, like the bigger ones? You know, I don't know that I have. Um, yeah, it's it's all been more at dusk or, or after dark. Uh, yeah, probably because, you know, at times when I get up early to fly fish, I'm typically not fishing before uh, daylight, and that's... That would be a good good time, uh, yeah, for big browns. I'm wondering sometime when we're fishing in the Minnesota Driftless, we should like get up early, like at 3 a.m. and get to the river by four, and see if we can fish in the darkness for a while. Or is there fishing light where you can only fish a half hour before? Uh, that's hunting, not fishing, right? Well, yeah, that's true. Except remember in Yellowstone, I know that uh, what like on the Gardner that year we I, I forget the at the time if it was a time or like a yeah a half hour uh after sunrise or something or maybe oh, no a half hour before sunrise or yeah. something because yeah i remember we had to wait uh for legal fishing light i know and i was thinking man this is just like hunting you know i'm looking at my watch and uh well that's a yeah that's a <laughs> those are great experiences and and those yeah i think you're right about the challenges that uh yeah they're, they're really about the same browns to anything else but yeah browns are nocturnal and you know the other thing i suppose you could say is that like brookies uh, browns are false spawners and so that that's not necessarily a challenge maybe that makes it easier to catch browns in the fall 
Uh, rainbows, cutthroats are spring spawners, and so, uh, you know, sometimes, though, you can catch browns that are behind, you know, kind of trailing rainbows and cutthroats when they spawn, but, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's why the Yellowstone River in, Ye in Yellowstone National Park doesn't open until mid-July. It's trying to protect those uh, cutthroat. Steve, so where can you expect to find brown trout here in the United States? Well, about anywhere where there are trout. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says that brown trout have been stocked in 45 states, and there's actually a self-sustaining population. In other words, they're, they're spawning, reproducing in 34 of our 50 states. And, yeah, again, they're all over the eastern seaboard. They're all over the Great Lakes states, Michigan, Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, and they're all over the west. But... But here's the thing, uh, brown trout are not native to the U.S. But the brown trout are all what they call wild, meaning they reproduce uh, and are self-sustaining. They're a self-sustaining population, as opposed to the rainbows. You don't catch rainbows in the Minnesota Driftless or Wisconsin Driftless unless I think they are a stocked fish. That is, you catch something that's a either that year that has been stocked or is, is a holdover. But in terms of brown trout, um, at least in the Minnesota Driftless, they're wild but not native. So, Steve, where can you expect to find brown trout here in the United States? Well, just about everywhere you find trout. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says that browns have been stocked in 45 states, and there's a self-sustaining population in 34 of the 50 U.S. states, meaning they spawn, they reproduce. So they're all over the eastern seaboard. They're all over the Great Lakes states where you find trout, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota. Uh, they're all over the west. But here's the thing. Brown trout are not native to the U.S., right? Yeah, they were introduced uh, to North America in 1883. Uh, some brown trout eggs were brought here from Germany. And then, a year later, almost 5,000 brown trout fry were released into the Baldwin River in Michigan. And so they just kept happening over the years. Yeah, and that's why a lot of fly fishers, especially the old-timers, refer to them as Sherman Browns. Yeah. Well, that leads us, I guess, to the thing that we hate about browns, and that is, uh, even though we love these fish, we love to catch them, uh, they're, they're just gorgeous fish with that kind of that brown back, and then the cream-colored side, and uh, those dark spots, and kind of the, the red spots that are right near that lateral line. So we, we love all those things, but the one thing we hate is that uh, that they are taking over waters where other trout used to thrive, uh, particularly brook trout. Yeah, they're, they're, yes, that's true. They, they are they seem to be more predatory than other species of trout, and so they prey on smaller fish like brookies. And I just saw a study recently that said something to the effect that juvenile brookies apparently uh, are able to compete in brown infested waters, but over the course of a lifetime, as these juvenile brook trout get larger and become adults, that browns do push them out. And so Brown trout fundamentally can live in much more warm water than do brook trout. So brook trout tend to go farther upstream, and the brown trout tend to uh, move downstream. You certainly see that, I think, in the Minnesota Driftless or even in the Wisconsin Driftless. 
I just wonder if with climate change, as waters become warmer and warmer, you know, will 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 browns thrive more and more, and and will we see even fewer brook trout and and cutthroat trout or wherever they're putting pressure on on the native fish? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because brown trout are able to live in a, a bit warmer water than than brookies or rainbows or cutthroats. Yeah, maybe that's why it seems like a lot of tailwaters are such good brown trout fisheries. I mean, I think of the uh, Owyhee River in eastern Oregon, and and that flows out of the Owyhee Reservoir, and I fish sometimes, uh, uh, I mean, it's a huge dam, so it's not like I'm right at the bottom of it, but, you know, it, uh, what, quarter mile, half a mile down uh, river from that dam, there's some really good water, and Man, that, that thing is, is just a, a brown trout fishery. And you're right, we, we have seen that in some of those streams we fish in Wisconsin, Minnesota. The uh, Wow, the, the browns have just taken over. Uh, you know, I, I read that uh, New York State has seen a significant decline in brook trout populations ever since the 1960s uh, due to browns. And that, that's sure that's not news to anybody, but it's just interesting that that's been studied and tracked, and I think, though, Dave, what's interesting is that they don't seem to be a huge concern in Yellowstone National Park. At least I haven't heard, uh, you know, a lot of uh, fly fishers or guides or, or even park ranger naturalists talking about that, even on the website. Uh, the concern, obviously, is about lake trout preying on the native Yellowstone cutthroats. Uh, the Park Service says, yeah, the browns and rainbows compete with cuts for food and habitat, but uh, I, I don't know. That that just doesn't seem to be as uh, much of a concern. But that's uh, you know, that's the reason we have such a love-hate relationship with these uh, fish. Yeah, they're, they're a marvelous fish, but they really are an invasive species, aren't they? And uh, that's that's tough. You know, I did read, you know, Tower where Tower Creek is, which is a tributary mm-hmm. of the, of Yellowstone. Um, it was historically, I guess, stocked with brook, rainbow, and cutthroat trout. And now brook trout and rainbow trout are considered a serious threat to the native trout. So um, in the Lamar and the Yellowstone. So I don't think it is a huge issue yet, but I think it's, it's like a rising issue. So, you know, and then, of course, you have brown trout that occasionally will... Um, breed with uh, with brook trout and create the tiger trout. I caught one of those. Do you remember that day I caught? I think it was on the Little Jordan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the Minnesota Yeah, it was. I don't know why I didn't yep. take a picture the, that day. Well, I know. Yeah, that would have been good. Uh, th- those and, and those offspring, the tiger trout, end up being sterile. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's a big concern. So is there anything that we can do? Uh, well, huh. Probably not, other than supporting any efforts to strengthen or reintroduce native trout populations. Uh, Last year, I read that the National Park Service discussed a plan for paying people for any browns they caught and removed in Grand Canyon National Park. Oh, man. I haven't read anything more about that. I don't know if that's happened. But, you know, I I can understand that. Certain fisheries, they're saying, hey, they're they're crowding out the, the... native fish and i think i think in that particular stretch of water it wasn't other trout as much as it was uh, a chub that's 
uh, native to that that water. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, what, what, what can you do other than support those efforts where they happen? I also know that brook trout are not indigenous to Wyoming or or Montana either, and so. You know, it, it wouldn't make much sense to kill browns in a particular watershed to protect another invasive species, right? Uh, I guess yeah. I don't understand, you know, the whole so the management and the science behind it. But uh, I know in Colorado that the brook trout have been known to be pushing out some of the native cuts. And so there's concern uh, in, in Colorado as well with with just brook trout. It's interesting how certain species, once they get introduced, can take over an, uh, you know, a watershed or an ecosystem. So is there anything else uh, here that we can or can't do? Yeah, maybe there is, and that is, it's, it's something we really shouldn't even have to say, but uh, we probably need to, and that is don't ever introduce brown trout or any other species to that little creek that flows nearby your house, because <laughs> you, know, you think that might be kind of fun. And there's people that do that, I mean, but it works against everything that conservationists are trying to do. You know, I, I'm always amazed, Dave, I'm sure you've had this experience too, where you hike to some uh, pristine mountain lake that's up above Timberline in Colorado, and you're at 9,000 or 10,000 feet, and you think, oh man, I, I maybe I'm the third person ever in 100 years that fished this, and you cast in and you, you catch brook trout and you think how in the world did brook <laughs> trout get here from Maine and you know somebody years ago uh, you know made it up there not only did they get there but they got there with trout and planted them and and uh, it, it is pretty remarkable so uh, hopefully I mean that that day is over and you know we shouldn't be introducing anything into any uh, waters and I, I know think most fly fishers are going to do that but i run into an occasional person that done that or hear a story about him i, I knew one guy that uh, uh that uh, actually got arrested for that I, I oh was, my i was glad he did yeah well i was i'm still hung up on the having a creek run by your house i mean when you said that uh what's the phrase you had me at little creek running by your house wouldn't that be awesome yeah <laughs> Oh, man. I know. It, it sure would be. Yeah, my parents, when they lived in Paradise Valley, uh, south of Livingston, Montana, had a had an irrigation ditch that flowed by the house. And uh, we didn't ever see any trout in that part of the ditch. But there were some places where uh, I used to work for one of the guys who was a ditch rider. And we'd go, I worked with him, and we'd go make sure everything was in working order and and uh, also uh, do a little bit of, uh, you know, spring for uh, weeds. Uh, but uh, there were some places where if you got there at the right time, you could uh, you could actually catch some big trout that came up out of the Yellowstone River. But I guess I digress. I know we're supposed to be talking about brown trout. Well, by the way, I remember lots of stories, and lots meaning maybe one. Uh, you know, yeah. remember our friend Alan talking about catching... And I think they were brown trout in irrigation ditches not too far from Great Falls, Montana. Now, Great Falls is more on a, is on a plain there, but somehow west of there, he was either working on a ranch or he got access to it where certain times of summer they would, they would basically cast hoppers into these irrigation ditches. And 
they had days that were just fabulous. Can you imagine? That would be so much fun. Yeah, boy, I know that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, you never know where you're going to run into browns or other species. But, uh, yeah, just don't plant them anywhere. I think that's what we're saying. All right, so I, I guess the takeaway in all of this is, hey, enjoy brown trout. They're a magnificent species. They can put up quite a fight. But important uh, to understand those efforts that are, are done by, uh, uh, you know, some of the different state and, and even federal fish and wildlife uh, uh, divisions to try to restore some of the native fisheries. And I, I, I know I remember times when I, I found that a little bit upsetting because, oh, man, I love catching the the, the brookies of the browns out of a particular stream and they're uh, they're killing them all so they can introduce the the native cutthroat but uh, i over the years i i really do support those efforts all right it's time for great stuff from our listeners and we have actually three comments that we're going to uh, read today uh, the first is from robert on a podcast we did a couple years ago on protecting your uh, fly rod and and recently he uh, ran across that podcast and he wrote this. He said, Stephen Dave, a good friend of mine and my fly fishing mentor told me to store the rod on the windshield of your vehicle with the reel under the wiper blade. That way it's secure and you will never drive off with it. <laughs> you know, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Uh, and I've, I've done that one at some of the you know, usually when we go to Montana, well not usually, we're always renting vehicles and a lot of the newer vehicles, uh, the the windshield is kind of recessed down a little way, so you don't even have to put a wiper blade over it. But you just set it there, and that's a good place for your rod. You won't step on it. And and like Robert says, you're right. If you forget and jump in your vehicle, uh, look up the windshield. There's your rod, so you're not <laughs> going to drive off with it. So yeah, that was a great comment. Very helpful. Thanks, Robert. Uh, here's a comment from Kenneth on our recent podcast on summer wearables for fly fishing comfort. Man, that was a good title, Dave. I came up with something kind of clunky, and you, the marketer that you are, summer wearables for fly fishing comfort. Yeah, we ought to start. We ought to start our own line of fly fishing clothing with with that with that kind of marketing genius. We get, these things will just fly off the shelves. The problem is, but, we're not pretty enough. To start <laughs> our own yes. summer wearable line. <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's right. <laughs> oh man! I guess we could always oh, hire that you. out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. We will not be the models for our our own clothes. All right, this is what Kenneth said. He said, "Very timely and good info as always." Here's my top-down approach for the summer when hitting small creeks in the Colorado mountains. Mesh hat, polarized sunglasses, neck gaiter, lightweight bamboo hoodie, or my poncho fishing shirt. Uh, love the cut and material of their shirts. Quick dry pants, waterproof socks, and soft science wading boots. Uh, he says they are super flexible and comfortable for easy trails and provide a bit more traction than just regular sandals. Huh. Have you even heard of the soft science wading boots? No, I want to take a look at them. That that's a that's a helpful comment because, uh, yeah, I think we spent time talking about maybe thinking of bigger rivers in mind. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a different game, isn't it? When you're uh, 
uh, fishing a smaller creek. So yeah, those are some good tips. So I'm gonna have to look up a uh, a poncho fishing shirt. I think poncho is a brand, and and the soft science wading boots. So uh, yeah, thanks Kenneth for those tips. The other thing I'd mention would be the lightweight bamboo hoodie. Not familiar with that, so we have to look that one up too. All right, here's the final comment from David, our friend David, on the summer wearables episode. He says, I have a suggestion you might like. I have purchased the long sleeve sun shirt with the hoodie uh, that has the bug shield in the fabric. I know Sims makes them, but I believe other companies are getting on board. I was kind of skeptical that they would actually work, but to my surprise, they are really effective. I went fishing in the Bighorn Mountains up from Sheridan, Wyoming with a fly fishing buddy, and the horse flies were terrible on this particular weekend. I put on the shirt, pulled the hood up on my head, and went fishing. I was pleasantly surprised that the flies left me alone. Meanwhile, my fishing buddy was having a terrible time with the flies. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's the hoodie uh, uh, shirt again, and uh, that may be one that we have to check out. And, uh, maybe I can buy that, Dave, so that you have a terrible time with the flies, and I can <laughs> be the one to run ahead and catch that big brown that you talked about today. <laughs> doesn't say anywhere that he gave the shirt off his back for his buddy who's fighting the flies. No, that's right. Come on, David. We, we expect more from you, but... Uh, but then again, Dave and I would, uh, yeah, we, we wouldn't do that either, would <laughs> no. we? We'd go, oh, what a bummer for Steve. That's too bad. Yeah, <laughs> All right, let's yeah. go oh, fishing. I got, a, I got another strike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Dave, is there anything else that uh, you want to add before we call it a day? Uh, just two things, Steve. One is uh, a reminder about our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short. Catch more fish. You can find that on Amazon. We would love for you to pick that up. Maybe buy two copies, one for you and your partner or spouse or son or grandpa. That would be awesome. The second thing is if you've made it all the way to the end of this episode, hopefully you've liked this episode, uh, but go to iTunes and give us uh, a five-star rating. We'd love that or whatever star rating you feel is appropriate. But uh, we've had a few people do that. And it's just helpful to get the word out about our podcast. And our podcast continues to grow. And it's all through referral. It's all through when people like you uh, say something to another friend who's a fly fisher or a colleague. And, and that is just so helpful. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Thank you.